The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Father, you are a good God. I thank you that we can talk to you. I thank you that we can come before you with confidence, knowing that you hear us and knowing that you love us. And every time one of the dear saints in our midst goes from here to eternity, seeing Jesus in a way that we've never seen. Every time that that happens, we're just reminded again that all of this is about Jesus, that this life is about Jesus, that this life is temporary, but there is so much everything that is eternal, and we give you praise for allowing us to be part of that by putting our faith in Christ. We thank you for the example of Edna. We thank you for, for how you blessed this church through her, and I also pray for her family just now as, as, they, as they are going through another time of loss, another time of grief, even at the same time as knowing with joy where their mother is. Uh, they're navigating life here without her for the first time. So I pray that you would, you would bless them and meet them there. And this morning we also pray for others in our church family. You know all the needs. You know every need. You know every heart. I pray that you would meet each one where they are. Uh, we pray especially this morning for the Betchers, for George and Lorna, as George is currently in hospital again at the Grace Hospital, having experienced, uh, first of all, a, a lack of oxygen and, and since then some blood, blood clots as well. God, I pray that, uh, that you, would, you would meet him where he is in the hospital bed. Just give him a real sense of nearness of your presence, and I pray that you would also bless him with how much you love him and how much he is loved by his family and by his church family. And God, I pray that you would also bless this morning for your glory. I I pray that you would allow us to glorify you from our hearts in a way that is genuine and led by your spirit. And I pray also for your spirit to lead us as we meet a little later uh, for our membership meeting, as that's an act of worship too, as we consider and celebrate how it is that you are leading your church in this time. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We love you and we give you our praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I can ask you to uh, stand as we hear from the word of the Lord. So I'll be reading from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 3 through 11, and then from Romans 12, 9 through 13. His divine power has granted all of us things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire, having escaped from the uh, uh, sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the, of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you so much, James, for that scripture readings. And uh, sure good to be together this morning. My name is Terry Jank. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of sharing the message this morning. And we've been in Romans chapter 12 for a while, but we're in chapter 12 for a part of that period. And, and this morning as we continue, I just want to remind you that you are uh, welcome to join us uh, in the journey on becoming a Romans 12 Christian. And that has started a couple of weeks ago and for many groups, different groups. Some are studying it in families, some in life groups, some in discipleship groups that are forming, and some are just forming a group of friends that are gathering in homes and, and meeting to do so. So uh, check out that on our webpage and uh, sign up if you'd like to join the journey. Well, many years ago, on May the 1st, 1873, a very well-known man died at the time. It was David Livingston, He's well known because he was a pioneer missionary to Africa. He uh, was kneeling beside his cot in a little village, in a little hut, in what is now called Zambia. And he breathes his last at the age of 60, just 60 years old. He died of malaria and internal bleeding caused by dysentery. And a group of loyal attenders uh, actually removed his heart physically, and planted it under a tree and uh, near the place where he died. And then on a long and arduous journey, using salt to preserve his body, took his body all the way back to England, and he was buried among the well-known in Westminster Abbey. You will find his grave there, David Livingston. He received the 21-gun salute, uh, a hero's funeral, and uh, on his tombstone, it reads this. Brought by faithful hands over land and sea, David Livingston, missionary, traveler, philanthropist. For 30 years, his life was spent in an unwearied effort to evangelize the native races, to explore the undiscovered secrets, and to abolish the slave trade. Indeed, those three descriptions of his life sum up what he was all about. You might think, well, why did they take his heart out before he left Africa? It's interesting that what I've read about that is that among the people that he was serving, seeking to evangelize and bring to Christ, there was the belief that when the deceased died, their spirit stayed close to their body. And so in order for him to stay close to the loved ones that he had in Africa, and uh, they decided to keep his heart in Africa. And... Um, of course, in, in many ways, his heart was in Africa because that's where his passion was in desire to, to serve the people there. <clears throat> but David Livingston was no ordinary man. He was no ordinary missionary. He was, in many ways, a controversial subject. 
Uh, he was known, of course, for his perseverance, almost perhaps to a fault, making him a hard person to work with. Many dying in the midst of the grief and struggle that he made decisions to stay on when even his own wife and several of his colleagues died in the process. His legacy is hard to quantify by his biographers. And um, in the 30 years that he spent in Africa, he has just one convert to Christianity, a chief of a village, of a tribe that he served among. And even that person, some have said, recanted and returned to his heathenism after not, but not before many in his, in his own tribe came to genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, so he's a, he's a controversial subject. And he did not really fulfill the role of a traditional missionary in many ways. He was more of, of a person that was working to abolish slavery in Africa, and he was finding new sites in Africa like Victoria Falls and so on. He was an explorer. And yet he had a passionate love for Jesus Christ in everything that he did. And the fruit of his labor was not just uh, in, is seen in, in one convert. <clears throat> I, I was thinking as I was reading about him this week, that Puritan statement where someone in the Puritans said, God can strike a mighty blow with a crooked stick. <laughs> and I think about how the fact is that aren't we all crooked sticks in some way? That if we were to have a light shone upon us in every sphere of our living and lives, there would be faults and inconsistencies and things that would not measure up to the, to the measure of Christ. And so, even as we think about that, I, I just want to share a few quotes from David Livingston, and you'll see why in a moment. He said, God had only, only an only son, and he made him a missionary. Get the heart of David Livingston. He was the one who said, the best remedy for a sick church is to put it on a missionary diet. <laughs> he was the one that said, this generation can only reach this generation. There's a lot of wisdom in these words that he wrote in his journal or that he spoke to in groups. And my favorite that I came across was this one. I have found that I have no unusual endowments of intellect, he wrote, but I have resolved that I would be an uncommon Christian. And what is it that he meant, I wonder, when David Livingston penned those words? What was it he meant about being an uncommon Christian? I think that probably what he means or meant was very much related to what Paul describes in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Or in the ESV, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You could accuse David Livingston of many things perhaps, and maybe some did, but you could not accuse him of being slothful in zeal. He was a man who was zealous for the purposes of God. And this morning as Paul lays open the subject in verse 11 of chapter 12 in Romans, I want to ask the question, what is spiritual zeal? What does it look like in our lives? And let's first think about what the signs of losing spiritual zeal might be. I thought I would spend some time this past week looking into that theme and various articles that I read on the theme of the signs that show you that you are losing your spiritual zeal. Let me just share the six top ones that I found 
in different articles that I read. The first thing that many wrote was that you, when you were losing your spiritual zeal, you experience a loss of joy in serving, and it becomes duty. And so that's a sign that maybe you're losing your spiritual zeal. You find less interest in worship or prayer or Bible reading. Says, some of them said, you find yourself making excuses for missing church. Well, there's been enough of those over the last two years to find, isn't there? And then, of course, you are drifting away from spiritual friendships that edify. If you are not on the cusp of a devotion to Jesus and you're somehow backsliding away a little bit, the last people that you want in your life are those spiritual friends that want to pray or talk about God. Another one is you become too easily offended by others and their opinions. There's been plenty of that potential in the last couple of years. And then you find excuses not to give an offering or share with others. So there are six. Loss of joy in serving, less interest in worship, finding reasons to miss church, drifting away from friendships, easily offended by others, excuses not to give or share. You might not think it, but all of these signs, if they are waning in your life, if these things are happening, when you look at these, this list, of course, all of us at some point could say guilty. All of us could at some point, at some time, read this list and say, this is a problem in, me, in my life. But if you read this list and you check all of them, and this has become the norm in your life for months and months, it should be cause for both concern and confession. And that's what we want to look at today is what is it that the Bible has to say about spiritual zeal? I would say that when we see these things in our lives, one of the first things that we could do that's concrete and tangible is we could go to the Word of God, the Bible, and we could start to read scriptures that address spiritual zeal. Passages like Psalm 42, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God, pants. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And if you read that verse someday in your Bible reading time, and you say, ah, I don't feel that, well, then you have an opportunity to bring that heart to God. Or Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, the writer of Psalmist says. And then, of course, there is passages like 2 Peter, which James read to us this morning. And uh, the word is, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control, all these things. And if these things are yours in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the word for make every effort is the same word that Paul uses back in Romans 12, 11. Zeal, fervency of spirit. Make every effort to do this. Quick to obey. The word has the idea of not being slow, lazy to respond to God. Not dragging your feet, but when God speaks, when he shows you something, being diligent and follow through. And the word supplement found in 2 Timothy 1.5 is an interesting word as well. It's the idea of supplementing, just like a vitamin supplement. You know, you're already eating a good healthy diet. You're, you're careful in what you're eating, but then you might add a supplement 
It's, gonna, it's saying do all that you can do. Get all that you need to boost your immunities, to, to keep you from that spiritual lethargy that can so easily settle on your spirit and your heart. Keep doing what you need to do. I don't know what you do. I find that I listen to worship songs. Often that is really important for my spiritual life. If I find a few days that go by and I haven't got some new music or some worship songs that I love, I miss it. I find that spiritual friendships are very important for me. If I haven't had edifying spiritual-related conversations after a few days, I miss it. I find that my own routine of Bible reading or prayer, certainly that's important. But there's various things that you can do. And Paul's going to touch on some of them in these three verses that we're looking at. So let's dive into verse 11 to start with. And it says, Paul writes that we can not be slothful, but, but, but serve the Lord in zeal. And the first point I want to make is that a fervent spirit is not slothful, but diligent in serving the Lord. Now verse 11 you can see in your Bible the word fervent. The, the word fervent in the Greek text is what we call an onomatopoeia. An onomatopoeia means that the sound of the word, the original word and the sound of the word have a description of the meaning of the word. Like sizzle, you know. It sounds like bacon sizzling or babbling brook. It sounds like the water going down the stream. But in this case, the meaning of the word is, is the word for boiling water, okay? Fervent, boiling water. Now, what does boiling water sound like to you? Well, I don't know what the original Greek text, what the original word sounded like in their pronunciation. We don't have that today, necessarily, of the Koine Greek that was written, the New Testament was written around, but the word is zeo. Now, that doesn't sound like boiling water to me. So maybe I'm not pronouncing it the way they originally did, but this is the word that described boiling water. And of course, water does not boil on its, on its own. Something has to happen for water to boil. And I think Paul's giving us some clues as to what we can do to help the fervency of our spirit, our devotion to God, our hunger for God to remain strong. Paul says, serve the Lord. That's, that's the point This bubbling over, boiling over energy and desire ends up resulting in not just ministering to my need in my spirit, but serving others, serving the Lord. It's boiling over. Paul says, serve the Lord. The ancient world, the word for serving was this doulos, this servant, this slave. But a slave of the Lord is a slave of the best master of all. Because we know we are completely loved and redeemed, and and as a result, we want our our lives to overflow in serving his purposes in the, in the lives of those around us. Let me read to you a couple of scriptures that <clears throat> use similar words in chapter 6 of Hebrews. And we read in this chapter, and he says, God will not overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. God will not overlook that. He says, and then he says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, zeal, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience are inheriting the promises. 
Or in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, Paul says, Watch carefully how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the opportunities, because the days are evil. Do not be foolish then, but understand what the Lord's will is. Ephesians 5. And then Paul goes on in talking to Timothy, his young son in the faith, in 1 Timothy 4. He says, Don't neglect the gift that God gave you at the laying on of hands. And he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So Paul is stirring up his young son in the faith, who's a pastor in Ephesus, to keep on keeping on in God. A fervent spirit is not lazy. It's overflowing energy wants to serve God and others. And so when you and I find ourselves finding ourselves lazy in spirit, showing the signs of lacking zeal, becoming too self-absorbed, and so on. A good remedy for that spiritual anemia would be look around, ask God, serve the needs of those that God puts in your path and are around you. Let's move on to the second one, a fervent spirit from verse 12, is leaning into God's grace, especially under pressure, Paul says in verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. I don't know about you, but I find this to be an interesting trilogy or interesting trio. This joy in hope, patience in affliction, constancy in prayer. These are byproducts of a spirit that is not lagging behind, but leaning on the grace of God. Now, the reason I say that is because the word for rejoice and the word for grace are from the same root word, okay? This idea of charis, this is, this is grace. This is the word for rejoicing or joy. And so, to lean on God's grace is to be able to rejoice, to see his favor in your life. When tribulation or trials come, we lean in, we press into God and his grace with the hope that through patience, he's going to, he's going to carry us through. We lean in. God's not taken by surprise. We recognize that. And he knows how to lead me through the storm. The word for tribulation in this verse has to do with a pressure that comes from two things rubbing together. That's what happens when we face trials. It was used in the ancient world of narrow places that were hard to get through, like a horse, riding a horse. And there's two fence posts, and you've got to get this horse through the fence posts, and you're going you're to have your legs rubbed on each side, perhaps. It's inevitable, but you're going to get through it. That's tribulation. You're facing things in life that are inevitable and unavoidable. And we don't normally connect our spiritual zeal with enduring tribulation, but Paul does. Paul is connecting these. And he's saying if you're, if you're topped up in understanding the love of God and if you're leaning into his grace, then you can handle getting through those tight spots. A person whose spirit is fresh and revived and fervent presses into God, especially under pressure. And that word patient in, in, is, is the idea, we've referred to it several times, upomone, standing under. It, leads, it literally means to stay under whatever God has put upon you, the yoke that God has asked you to bear, stay under it for as long as God says it's meant to be there, and he's going to provide a way of escape when the time comes. 
upomene. And so in trials like this, you might ask, well, are we just sort of meant to sort of hunker down and stay there and be passive? And Paul is not saying that at all. Paul is not encouraging passivity in the Christian life. Zeal does not encourage passivity, okay? And so what does Paul say? Verse 12, he says, be constant in prayer. We stay fixed in the direction of God. We seek him through prayer. We lean on his grace. We stand under the load that he's given us. We pray it up without ceasing. We're always ready to lean into God. That's how we endure. Prayer is a persistent devotion. We can't pray for a season and then expect it to carry us through two years. We pray constantly. Let me read to you what Eugene Peterson writes about prayer. He says, prayer combines our experience on Patmos. Remember, John the Apostle was on the island of Patmos, suffering persecution. He says, prayer continues, or combines our experience on Patmos and being in the Spirit, this place of prayer. It is the realization of personal powerlessness and, in the same moment, participation in God's power. I can do nothing. God can do anything. Until we come to the place of exile, we are not minded to undergo the disciplined quietness and the passionate waiting that brings us to the point of hearing seeing and receiving God's fullness. You see that? Interesting. Sounds like an oxymoron, passionate waiting, but it's, it's zeal. It's active. Prayer focuses not passively, but actively on God. And it's not a one-time activity. It's a repeated activity. Constancy in prayer. In a few months, the farmers of Manitoba will be returning to the fields, and they will be harrowing or plowing up the, the, the soil. And it's necessary for them to plow the soil or at least harrow the soil so that, so that it'll be scarfed enough that it'll receive the moisture that God is going to send as the snow melts, as the rain comes. And it's going to need that in order to receive the seed, for the seed to be found in a place of soil and ready to germinate. This is the picture of the heart that needs to retain a zeal for God because without that ability to retain moisture and to receive what God has given, uh, there will be no fruit. There will be no growth. And so we plow today so that we can receive rain tomorrow so that we can reap a harvest in the future That picture of the farmer should be a picture of your own heart and the soil of your own heart and the fertility of your own heart as you maintain your spiritual zeal, as you stoke the fire of hunger after God and you do whatever it takes to supplement that so that you can thrive and not just survive. It's a picture of what prayer does. Prayer does not change God, folks. Prayer changes and readies your heart for what God wants to send in the season of the rains, in the seed, in the planting, and so on. And then finally, we see in verse 13 that Paul says a fervent spirit shares with others by making friends through hospitality. In verse 13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Well, how's that going to stoke my fire? How's that going to help me in spiritual zeal? Try it. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. How is it related to spiritual zeal, you ask? Quite simply, it's another part of this overflow. It's another part of this boiling over, this bubbling over in zeal for God. It spills out onto those around you. And if it doesn't spill out onto those around you, just like the fruit of the Spirit is meant to be felt by those around you first, then you have to wonder what's bubbling over in you. And so the word for hospitality I find very interesting. It literally has to do with pursuing friendship with strangers, pursuing the love of strangers. Those that might be estranged from you, hospitality, properly speaking in its word, is about them. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Paul then, or the writer of Hebrews then goes on to say, and remember those in prison like you yourself were in prison. And remember those who are mistreated like you're being mistreated. Put yourself in their shoes. That's what makes you want to entertain strangers. Man, if I was out on the streets and had nowhere to go, nowhere to eat, how would I feel? Because there were so few hotels and inns in the ancient world, the Christians were encouraged to show hospitality because oftentimes if a Christian traveled to another town, they were ostracized by the community. And so they had to have the the Christian family bring them in. And that's what Paul is encouraging, and Peter as well. Peter 4, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins, and show hospitality to, to one another without grumbling, he says. Show hospitality. The idea of showing hospitality by having people come into your home, into the place where you live, into your little sacred place, your, your living room, your dining room table, having them come in to share the table with you, your food, maybe even overnight. That's incredibly important. And our culture does not know enough about it. And indeed, COVID-19 has done nothing to help it. The word for contributing to the needs of the saints here is the word koinonia. It's the word fellowship, sharing in whatever needs you find as, as you offer hospitality to people that you invite in to come to your door. Deep sharing in Christ means sharing whatever I have to help whoever God sends my way. And so I hope that God gives you the privilege of returning to a full-bore hospitality in your life. I hope God gives you and all of us the opportunity to return to having people in your home, having a sustained conversation around a table, having the kind of opportunity in an intimacy of a meal shared where you listen to what really is on the heart of somebody and you offer your support and you pray together about some of the things that you're not going to share on a Sunday morning perhaps. I hope we have opportunity to see that because that's going to stoke the fire of your spiritual zeal, not just theirs. And so... Paul himself was often refreshed by the grace of hospitality. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 1.16. Paul says, May the Lord grant mercy 
to the household of Juan Sephorus, for he often refreshed me, and, I, and he was not ashamed, ashamed of my chains. Here's Paul remembering at the end of his life, the last letter he wrote, he's thinking back and he said, man, that household, that family of Juan Sephorus, they often refreshed me when I was traveling. God bless them. May God show mercy upon them. At the end of life, who are you going to remember? Who are you going to think about? Think about the kinds of relationships that God, God leads you into and the kind of ways that God sharpened you in your faith because of others. Well, water does not boil by itself, folks. So in this brief examination of three verses in Romans chapter 12, the response is upon our hearts now. What are we going to do in the coming weeks to maybe do something different? What are we going to do, perhaps, one thing we could do to, to, to let the water boil a little more, let it overflow, let's see what God wants us to do to create enough steam to make a noise, to impact somebody else's life, to stoke the fire of their zeal through our mercy, through our initiative. May God lead us in that. And just in a moment, folks, I want us to transition to the Lord's table. And I want to tell you, we're not off theme here. Because guess what Jesus Christ did? He showed us his hospitality. When we were strangers and when you were far away from God, not even thinking of God, Jesus Christ came to you. He searched you out. He went and sought and saved the lost. And he said, he said, hey, I want you to come and join my family. Jesus said that. Jesus said, come and join my family, my father's house. There's room for you. Come and join my family. I have died on the cross for your sins. And I have made a way for you to be in heaven. I've made a way for you to be done with shame and guilt. Come and join me. Jesus is the best host of all. Jesus offers us hospitality, not just when we were strangers, but even as we were part of the family, and many of you that have walked with the Lord and been part of God's family for years, you still screw up. You still don't honor Christ. The way. You still lack in spiritual zeal. But what does Jesus Christ, as the best host of all, do this morning? You know what he does? The risen Lord is present. He invites you to come to the table. He says, I'm opening my door, and I'm inviting you in. I know you've wandered away. I know you haven't been walking close to me, but come to the table. You're welcome. There's a spot for you. You can do that today. If you've never come to Jesus Christ, today can be the day you say, I know I'm a sinner. I need Christ to have paid that price, and I believe he did. I accept you, Jesus. And if you've wandered away, you can come back because he says, come on in. When I say Jesus is the host, I want you that come from a Catholic background. Do not confuse that little wafer that you get on at the Eucharist, at the communion meal. Do not confuse that which is called a host with what I am talking about this morning being Jesus as your host. Totally different words. The Catholic tradition that receives that little wafer comes from a Latin word, hostia, which has to do with 
the victim of the one being sacrificed. It comes from their theology, this thing, this big word called transubstantiation, meaning that the idea is that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ is being crucified all over again. We don't believe that, folks. We believe that, that Jesus Christ is a risen Lord this morning. And as host, he invites us to come and partake of this meal that he's fully paid the price for. He went to the cross. He was the sacrifice once for all, the writer of Hebrews says, once for all, never to be done again. And then he says to you, you who will pick up your cross and follow me, I want you to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And keep your spiritual doctor's appointment. Come to the table. As often as you remember me, come to the table. Because I'm inviting you to come and receive fresh grace. Remind yourself who gave it to you and who you belong to. We're going to just uh, prepare ourselves. If you haven't got a little cup with a little wafer in it, there's more at the back of the room. When we sing this song, you can go get them. And you at home, if you would just join us by getting some juice and some bread, we will be partaking of the Lord's Supper in just a moment. You know, um, this is not a, a Baptist table. This is not a Catholic table. It's, this is the Lord's table. <laughs> and... Uh, the Lord, Lord looks back upon your history and he doesn't care where you came from. He cares where you're coming to. And he loves you. Jesus loves you. And uh, he's risen. We just sang about it. And he invites you to, to the table this morning. Even if, and especially if you've been a stranger, that you don't really personally feel very close to Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. And he loves you. And he's ready to receive you today. And uh, I want you to hear the heart of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I just thank you that I get to come before this people and Lord, I confess my sin. I can be so proud. I can live so independently of you. Lord, we come together and we come confessing our great need. We come acknowledging, oh Lord, how how we can be strangers to you like, like strangers to you and, and yet you continue to extend the hand of hospitality to us. You prepare a table before us, O oh Lord, and you welcome us back into the family even if we've strayed. And O oh God, you're so merciful and so gracious, abounding in love. May this morning be a moment, O oh Lord, as we partake of this meal, this bread and this cup, 
that remind us of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. We share in this because we remember that. And you are risen, Christ. You are host this morning, and you invite us all to join you. And so would you help us, O God, as we come before you to understand that recommitment to, to, to pursue a spiritual zeal, a hunger for you, and uh, satisfy us, O oh God. Satisfy us with all that is good because you are good. And so we, we offer our prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll take the, front, the top of this container off, you'll see a little piece of wafer there. And I'm going to ask you to take now of this bread, eat it in remembrance of Jesus, remember his body broken for us. And then we peel off the next little layer, and uh, this juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross 2,000 years ago. Would you drink it in remembrance of him? And remember, friends, that as long as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we continue to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May God bless you. Let's join together in prayer, and then we're going to transition into our, our membership meeting. Please pray with me. Father, we've, we've heard and we've sung a lot about waiting today. And we thank you that you are such a God that your character is what it is, so much so that we can be patient in tribulation, we can be joyful in hope, we can be constant in prayer, and we can know that you are the God that has done all of these things, and you are the God that continues to carry us. We thank you, Lord, for your hospitality to us. We thank you that you've invited us to a table that we had no place being, except for that you invited us, and you made a way for us to be there. We thank you for that, and I pray that out of our dependence on you, and out of our waiting on you, and out of our continuing to worship you, and out of our sitting at the table that you've prepared for us, that we would also offer to others a place at the table, that we would continue to point to you and say, this is where life is in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would bless each one, as we go from here, and for those who are staying for the meeting, I pray that you would just give us hearts of unity and joyfulness as we think back over this past year and all the ways that you have done work for your kingdom and for our good, which is your glory. I thank you, Lord, for how you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.